Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McEnroy. Joined as ever by Steve Walsh, aka Stephen Owen Walsh, aka Stizzer, aka Stevie Weavy, aka the Peach Devil, aka the Annalise Strangler. Any others, Steve? Uh, a few of those aren't <laughs> actual ones, so <laughs> the Peach Devil. Yeah, they're like the White Devil. Yeah, I know where I can understand where it's come from. <laughs> but who who's that from? Louis. That's from Louis. Isn't it? No, that's just I think that's just, just general. Natural, Loads uh, of people are using it. Apparently. They're all saying it. Hello, hello to the Peach Devils and Mahoney Robbies. <laughs> they're listening. Today we're talking about Waterloo. I thought it was important, Steve, to get back to an area that we know well after the Ballum fiasco. <laughs> yeah, it was quite nice. Uh, uh, coincidentally today having done all my research on Waterloo and it is an area I go through on the bus every day on the way to work and home again and you sort of visit there from time to time but um, my boss at work wanted to know the best way to get there uh, from Gosh because so, he's off to the old Vic to see uh, Hedda Gabler and what uh, did you say? Uh, I told him to um, tube in it pick no it just circus, walk it brown line. walk down uh, Charing Cross Road uh, down the Strand, across the bridge, over the Hungerford. Yeah. Oh, actually, yeah. Go down Northumberland Avenue, across the Hungerford. You're there, pretty much. There is some more walking to go, but it was nice. Bro. Did he walk? Sort of like... He did. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him get on the bus. So. <laughs> you saw him handling the rickshaw. <laughs> this is the thing that we keep coming back to uh, on this show. It is we're talking about areas that we have lived in or around or mm. visited a lot. And you think, and we do know them reasonably well, but you always find out something new. Oh, much. Always finding out It's a, a bit new... like Waterstones, isn't it? Discover something new. It is a bit like Waterstones. What's your story? Much more fun. Fewer disciplinaries. Yeah. Less Nazism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to school around Waterloo, um, as, I've just, as I seem to mention on every show. That's all you got. Stop going on about it's yourself. That's all you've got. So, yeah, I mean, I've spent uh, lots of time around there. Uh, I kind of feel like I know it inside out almost. Do you know what I mean? It's there's, it's not a huge area, is it? It's not, but it, it is sort of loaded with things, isn't it? Mm. For such a small sort of... You, if you think about just the central part of Waterloo from the sort of bridge down to... As the opposed end of to Waterloo East. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you just think about that central strip, it's just so... And obviously the station dominates. But then I say that, but then, you know... The IMAX is a huge affair, isn't it? Yeah, oh, I'm sure we'll come to that shortly, Of course, Steve. yeah, yeah. In America, Steve, right, every single place is named after another place, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah. I wonder where they get the name uh, Paris, Texas from. <laughs> Paris is uh, in France. You know, New York, everything. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't need to give more examples. And even not when it wasn't, not even when it wasn't like, New York, it was so New many. Amsterdam. They're just not coming out of any new <laughs> yeah. names of things, are they? Um, obviously, that's not the case in England, because we're OG. <laughs> Where the source uh, toponymy, which I said in the last episode in uh, the Thamesmead episodes, which people won't have heard yet or will have heard. <laughs> and you and Jim just looked at each other and looked at me like I was a dunce. Also said that that straw dogs was banned, and Jim said it wasn't. It was banned. I can look that up as well. So, but yeah, you know, uh, Waterloo's a bit of a one-off, and I'm sure there are other places, but Waterloo's one where the name was appropriated from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you think of any other examples in England or London, particularly? In London, well, I suppose you've got Little Venice, but that's an unofficial <laughs> designation. It's that. It's the canal. It's the canals in North London. Really? Yeah, but it's an. It's, that's not an official China designation. <laughs> You're struggling now. <laughs> 
But yeah, Waterloo is a place. Uh, that, that, That's where the, the kind of Waterloo is a place. <laughs> where the name, the name is lifted wholesale uh, from another place. But it's not just a case of, there's a very definite reason for it, isn't it? Why is that? <laughs> he asked. <laughs> quizzically. I don't know the answer. Falsely quizzically. Uh, it's a battle, isn't it? Yeah, but what's it got to do with why? Uh, well, basically, the bridge, the battle was won in 1815. and uh, Who won the war? Who won the war? Yeah, yeah I mean, we won the battle, but yeah. who won the war? Uh, we did. The Battle of Waterloo was essentially the end of the Napoleonic Wars. Oh. Yeah, so the bridge is named after the battle, and the bridge is the first place in the area. The rest of the area is still really known as uh, Lower Marsh at the time. And it's only when the station's opened that that's also known as Waterloo Station and the area itself starts to be known as Waterloo. Lower Marsh now being merely the name of a road. Yeah. Uh, which is currently being repaved, which I presume is to make it, you know, to kind of boost the street market. Oh, well, they pedestrianise it. Looks like it. Yeah. I weren't quite sure, really, but it looks that way. Quite a busy little street, isn't it? It's got like Christian Aid. I don't know if it's a headquarters, but it's got a major Christian Aid building. Which is packed with stuff. It's got like a primary school down that corner, Joanna. Um, And it's got Ian Allen Books, right? That weird little bookshop uh, where they sell lots of local interest stuff. Glenn reckons it's good, so there's always teaming with people. Loads of like transport books. Yeah. They've got a £53.99, like what looks like a a transport textbook in the window. It's a dead stock in the window. (laughs) Buying that. (laughs) <laughs> You're trying to feel quiet and everything. I think our friend Glenn gets his Christmas trees from Lower Marsh, Steve. Oh, is it? I think so. Yeah, it's a nice sort of mix of shops. You, know, you get these, mm. there's like clearly some impossibly ridiculously trendy uh, vintage places and things like that yeah. where you're just going to pay £84 for a hat. There's a, a there is a branch of uh, chariot spas as well there. So. Is there? Yeah, and it just runs along the top of about eight shops. It's like well massive. Right. Huge Mon- monster shop. <laughs> yeah, we took a walk down there, didn't we? Um, when we were going to take modern. We're always taking walks visit. down there, Steve. Down Lower Marsh. Just down around the area in general. Around the area, but we actually did a walk down Lower Marsh, didn't we? Did we? Yeah, you stopped off and got a sandwich and uh, a coffee. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got, oh, I just remembered you got the Cubana. Is that what's called Cubana? It's the Cuban place at the end of the road, where it's got a big painted lady dancing on the side and stuff, and it looks like kind of like, oh, this could be a bit interesting, but it's does. Glenn said it's terrible, and like <laughs> we walked past, and you could see through the window, you could see people at their tables, and right next to them there was an open toilet door, <laughs> but you can see like like kind of hanging, enjoy the enjoy the soup, innit? See like hanging toilet roll, like a meter from someone's table, like it's disgusting. <laughs> Yeah, we went um, yesterday. I was at the uh, Duke of Sussex, um, opposite on Bayless Road, opposite the Old Vic, and uh, yeah, they had the radio tuned to 1978, and they <laughs> had the uh, guy jumping out of the uh, balloon, 24 miles up, showing that live on telly on mute, like three people watching, <laughs> and they broke into a debate about Jimmy Savile. Nice. He was so powerful. My mum asked me last night what I thought about the Jimmy Savile affair, and I said, uh, I'm against it. Who's yes. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to say about a Jimmy Savile affair? That one's, I'm, uh, I'm broadly against it. Yeah, you know, it was probably wrong on balance. As an uh, area as a whole, I think it's quite interesting, Waterloo, because it seems more designed 
than most places in London, if that makes sense. There seems more of a sort of shape or pattern to yeah, it. Yeah, there is a real shape most. to it, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. It's a kind of crucifix shape, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you've got the sort of the base of it starting from St George's Circus and Waterloo Road sort of feeding yeah, up. Yeah, or even slightly further up than that. There's that fancy new hotel right by St George's That's Circus, right. isn't yeah, there? Yeah. Which they call a Waterloo Hotel. They're kind of pushing it a bit. No, but like from the old Vic, you know, being kind of yeah. top of the cross. Well, yeah, you've got the, the sort of old Vic, and then you've got the, the lower marsh one side, and then the cut the other. Then carrying up to the station on one side, and uh, sort of shops and businesses the other. The IMAX, and then you've got sort of Stamford Road and York Road, sort of... Stamford Street. Sorry, Stamford Street. London North will uh, represent. <laughs> um, Second Starboard shout out, yeah. Branching Stand off from east. there. Starboard turning to right, Portugal left, dismissed. <laughs> And I was thinking, uh, why is this? Why, you know, it just does seem unusual, sort of notable. Um, but then reading about, you know, Lower Marsh obviously being a legacy of this, the whole area was um, marshland and swampland. So I'd imagine, I don't know, I haven't done enough sort of, and it's very hard to sort of trace these sort of things, but I'd imagine the whole area would have been developed around the same time. Oh, right, yeah. Do you know what I mean if you if you're going to be sort of like developing swampland, you you would sort of like go let's just gradually, yeah, do yeah. this whole area. So and a lot of London has evolved gradually. You know, roads just emerge. You know, at different times and different places, so they come out of funny angles. Whereas here, you sort of go if you have a chance, you sort of go okay, we'll do a big central road down the middle, and we'll have these that arch off quite naturally. Yeah. So yeah, it, it it does seem like designed. It almost is like blocks, isn't it? I think the fact that the station's so big as well means that you can't really develop around it. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to adapt to that. Mm. That's, that's going to force you to give a certain amount of space over to it. And also define the shape of it as well, isn't it? You've got this huge block that sort of arches off into the distance. The cup. Yeah. You've got the uh, tapas place that Owen Pomeroy recommended to us. Uh, although I got there uh, and they were fully booked. This sort of ridiculed me from not booking, and that put me off ever going back. <laughs> you know, as if I was some kind of idiot. So I'm booked. Fine, I'll go somewhere else. Just like, let's not make a big deal about it. They're obviously having a good night there, and they're fully booked out. But in a few weeks' time, they'll be like, when they're they're mm. they're not booked out, and they'll be like, why aren't people going up to our door? Uh, and you're like, well, because you're, you're smug. Yeah. That's why. Because <laughs> you're quite shabbily if they uh, take a chance. Yeah, we popped into Taz, you know. It's uh it's nice. nice. I mean, it's just chain, so there's no point big enough too much. But <laughs> the most famous building on the cut, probably the old Vic. Probably, yeah, isn't it? Well, 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 the young Vic. <laughs> no, I mean the Ring Pub at yeah. the other end, where supposedly the Queensbury rules were written. Yeah, Marcus Greensby sat upstairs in the boxing gymnasium. Used to go past it on the get the. I used to get the forty-five to score most of the time, and it, the, the bus used to go past, and you'd see people up in the, uh, you know, upper floor. Like it's a gym, isn't it? You see yeah, people yeah. like training up there and stuff. Little did I know that's where uh, pugilism found its form. Yeah, it's quite an interesting thing. I thought you know traditionally, uh, South London seen as you know particularly historically, uh, the unruly side of the river and the place where. You know, the regulations all from the North Bank, it's all from Parliament and the City of London. And people go to the South Bank for illegality and, you know, wrongdoing. And the idea that it was on in this in this area that's seen as in, inherently sort of criminal and violent, that actually it was regulated. The violence was sort of tempered and given uh, a shape and a form and a bit more substance. 
beautiful. <laughs> Do you want to talk about the old Vic then, Steve? Yeah, it, it was only sort of doing research yesterday it ever occurred to me to think about why it was called that. And like, because obviously it wouldn't have always been called the old Vic, would it? You don't open something and call it the old Vic. Well, they didn't, did they? No. It was opened up as the Royal Victoria Hall, which makes much more sense as the name of a theatre. Didn't have a name before that. Uh, it did, didn't it? But but in its current form, I mean, there's been oh, okay, a theater, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, uh, I think, it was a concert, wasn't it? And then there's yeah. Cons Road, which is opposite now. So there's sort of legacy of that in the place. But yeah, um, yeah, in its current form, uh, the Royal Victoria Theatre, and eventually the Old Vic. Kevin Spacey running things uh, for the last few years. Is uh, he still there now? Yeah, he's still uh, there and he's still now, performing and still very hands yeah, on. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's on off, isn't it? Um, yeah, he doesn't perform in everything, does he? No, direct, um, he directs occasionally, performs, but he curates it, doesn't he? He sort of makes the selections of what's. Yeah, going he. I mean, he had a huge reputation when he went there, didn't he, as a mm. film actor? And that's almost that's dwindled a bit since, isn't it? I guess because he's too busy to make good. Yeah, films. this is it. And the thing is, if you don't make the less films you make, the less good films you make. You know. Like has, he made, like, has he made anything recently? No, he made that. What was that Vanity Project he did? Not Vanity Project, but some film about a singer. Oh, it's yeah. You write up your street, Steve. Was it? I know what you mean. I can't. Harry Como the movie. No, what was it? <laughs> Whatever that was. But yeah, he's not done a great deal. Because I was going to guess the last forward. thing he did was K-Pax. I think is... maybe Pay It Forward might have been just after that, but I could be wrong. Okay. They're around the same time. Right. But he certainly hasn't really done a seven or a usual suspects, has he? No, but uh, who has? That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, but he's not even come close. No, he? no, no. In American Beauty. He's too busy. He had a great run there, didn't he? He was, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, nominations and stuff. He, uh, there was that time, uh, you remember, Steve, when he was, uh, I don't know which park it was, they said A. Kennett and Park, but I don't think they meant Kennett and Park. I think right. they meant the Imperial War Museum, bit of grass. Where he uh, reported his phone has been stolen. Yeah. But then it kind of turned out he was on some kind of midnight rendezvous. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> I do remember this. Yeah, yeah, but he's still, I mean, firmly in the closet, isn't he? But... Well, you can have midnight rendezvous with Hedge uh, Trophy. Less of No, it was it? another man. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Was no, yeah. But, like, you know, it was all. Um, he's phoned the police back, I think, late running away, like, but forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I it's... should never have got the police involved here. This yeah, I've spoke mistake. to O2. They're going to replace that. It's fine. <laughs> I can afford a new phone. <laughs> Kaiser says so, so. Oh, we're in that, aren't I? <laughs> well, what, yeah. what does this mean, Steve? Can you tell me what my note means here? Stands on the foundation stones of the ancient palace of Savoy. But the old Vic. No. All right. It's good notes, though. If you want to look up that, been, <laughs> that's all I wrote. <laughs> I'm imagining that you've got um, a note on the young Vic concerning uh, certain performances. No, no. What, no. What, what's the... Um, young Vic. Um, the old Vic opened in 1818, obviously, is a much more established uh, venue. The young Vic opened originally in 1946, but didn't take its actual place as a separate building until 1970. The performance that caught my eye the most over the years at uh, the Young Vic and it has seen it's more of a sort of developmental uh, venue than the Old Vic um, but quite experimental in terms of what's put on as well um, and in 1971 uh, The Who played a residency there oh, right. where they were essentially rehearsing 
uh, doing rehearsal sessions for the album that became Who's Next. Oh, right. It's all plays now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've, you've got Lower Marsh and the cut at the base of Waterloo, and then further up Waterloo Road, you've got... There's other sort of prominent uh, buildings and The fire station. Well, uh, it's the headquarters of uh, London Ambulance Service along there as well. And there's also... Oh, right. uh, oh yeah, that's further down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also... Um, um, I'm pretty sure you haven't dug as heavy notes otherwise you'd have thrown at me at this point. The, the Union Jack Club. Have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Well, well aware of the Union Jack Club, Steve. Do you remember? No, he's walked past it, isn't it? Soldiers oh, Club course, started yeah. as a monument to those who fell in the... Uh, <laughs> S-A. South Africa. <laughs> That's the Boer War, is it? Apparently a million people slept there during the... Uh, millions, sounds like a lot, doesn't it? During the war? During the war, yeah. It's probably not all in one go. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably over... There's only 300 rooms. That's so. over five or six nights. Is that a residential club? What does that mean? That, like, you army can... tramps? <laughs> um, residential clubs means that members can stay overnight. Oh, right. And, and traditionally... Woodford, can they bring a lady? Uh, yeah, or I don't think there's any man. sort of... Yeah, um, I mean, with a lot of members clubs in London, uh, the appeal was that, you know, if you think about the sort of people who are generally members of private members clubs, traditionally it would have been landed gentry. So that would have been people that wouldn't necessarily have apartments in London. Stuff. Essentially, yeah. But they'd have houses in the country and they'd come up to town for the day yeah, yeah. and stay at their club. That's, that's what they do. And the idea with the Union Jack Club was it as a place for um, members of the armed forces to have a place to stay in London. They've extended it more recently so that civil servants can stay, but they've got to pay uh, what's described as a reasonable fee. But it sounds like um, mm, a remarkable uh, space. There's like apparently tremendous views um, from the upper floors of the Thames and whatnot. Oh, that makes sense. It's worth talking about those uh, 37p sandwiches we got recently at uh, <laughs> No. <laughs> There's also um, St John's Church in Waterloo, which in and of itself isn't uh, a particularly exciting space. And there's no real sort of exciting history to it, except for the actual the, the, the scheme of building it itself, um, where it was designed by a man called Francis Octavius Bedford um, as part of a general plan where he designed four churches simultaneously designed and oversaw the building of four churches simultaneously well not as days but overlapping between like 1822 and 1825 and all four churches uh, were in South London which obviously makes it easier for him to oversee the projects um, so you've got St John's in Waterloo uh, St George's in Camberwell St Luke's in West Norwood and Trinity Church in Newington which were all designed on the same sort of uh, framework as well they were, they were all Greek revival commissioners churches so they're very similar uh, in terms of sort of layout on external look we used to get the uh, priest and priestess come uh, into our schools to do assemblies now and then not very often once a month maybe but I don't remember a great deal about them because they were, obviously you don't listen do you <laughs> assemblies and wild boring um, but yeah once they're talking about doing missionary work and smuggling in a Bible to uh, some country where you can't have them in like uh, with a Victoria Wood dust jacket on it. <laughs> this is the word of wood. <laughs> Praise be to wood. 
In the beginning was the wood, and the wood was God. <laughs> Where we see the biggest change in our own lifetime, Stephen Warley, would be the IMAX, formerly uh, Ball Ring Roundabout, uh, known as Cardboard City, due to the uh, copious amounts of homeless people sleeping there. And in the late 90s, uh, 1998, they finally got rid of like the last of them and uh, built a massive cinema there. When you say got rid of the last one, I think it's important to emphasise that people are rehoused rather than wiped out. Because you made it sound like... Uh, <laughs> Genocide. Yeah, you made it like they just gassed homeless yeah. people. Yeah. There's such thing as hobo-side. <laughs> Apparently, by the very end uh, of the operation, there were 30 people left who were all uh, rehoused. But there were concerns at the time. It's just the word. <laughs> yeah, actually, housed. Re. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but there were uh, questions asked at the time about um, the sort of viability of the scheme, just in the sense of these people that have been homeless for a long time and had other issues, you know, that weren't being addressed in terms of addiction and uh, mental illness. Yeah, I mean, it, went, it was like 15 years of it being there. Well, and it, it but, is... I mean, it was, you know, it peaked at a certain point, obviously, 200, they say. Yeah, yeah. The, the 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 horrific thing for me just reading about it and considering it was the fact that as you say for fifteen years you had up to two hundred people sleeping rough in the heart of London, uh, and it wasn't anything like empathy or yeah. compassion or human concern. No, the boys we need to put a cinema. Yeah, we need a giant cinema. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll tell you what, we'll house these people. If that's what it's going to take <laughs> for us to get a cinema, uh, we'll do the decent, humane thing and finally correct this uh, horrible anomaly in the heart of uh, London. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, the kind of end of that. You know, being aware of Cardboard City. It's quite an extraordinary name for a place. It is. And if you look Cardboard City into Wikipedia, a different Cardboard City is the main entry. You have to type in Cardboard City London. Yeah, it was in Poland, was it, the other one? Uh, I can't remember. But, like, remember going to... I didn't really go to school that way. That was kind of slightly out of the way, but a couple of times you would end up going that way or whatever. And, yeah, I remember you'd go through and just see, like, loads of people there, loads of boxes... I remember a guy going, a guy with one leg, homeless guy with one leg going past on a skateboard. That was quite a vivid image that has yeah, kind of yeah. stuck with me. But yeah, now you've got like an 80 foot cinema screen. <laughs> um, yeah, where, do you remember when it first opened the IMAX? And like, I mean, it's extraordinary because it just sprung up and the building, there's a very similar building just down the road, the Park Plaza Hotel yeah, of Westminster yeah, Bridge, yeah. where it's just a kind of, well, I guess it's just a roundabout, and it's yeah. been, they've built a round building there, big round glass building. But with those kind of massive hoardings on the inside of the glass and stuff, you yeah. know, it's quite it's quite a kind of very striking oh, definitely, building. Yeah. When it first opened, some kids from my school went there as like, uh, you know, as part of the opening, and my friend Tim Lalam, yeah, congratulations on the baby. Yeah, he was, he was listening. There. He's got a baby now. He's not listening to any of these. Actually, no, probably three o'clock in the morning. He's got one earphone. He's, he's got an earphone. And he's just he's like rocking the show. Yeah. Some kids from my school went, and like there were royal, there was royalty like two rows in front of him. Okay. Prince Charles, I think. Couldn't see past the ears, could they? Hey. Be foot, but the thing is, Jeffrey Charlesdale, you know, you couldn't see past. He was in the <laughs> Couldn't see past his ears even. Steve, huge. <laughs> Can I make a, a shocking confession regarding the IMAX? You've never been there. Never been to the IMAX. First couple of years, right? It was just there was 
I can't remember exactly, but there was very little on there. There was just be like these really boring documentaries. It's it, it as far cause as far as I can tell, for about five years, it was just uh, the deep. Yeah, there, no, there was that, and there was another thing, name of which I can't remember. But I went to see it with my friends, and it was twelve fifty at the time, yeah. which was at least double what you would pay in a regular cinema to you know see a normal film, and it was only about an hour. And it was, I think, Jenna Elfman was voicing this CGI character that was just wandering around. And they'd chuck a load of stuff at the screen. You're like, oh, this is incredible. And then they'd do something else. And then they showed, you know, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode where Homer walks into the kind of three-dimensional plane? Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, they showed oh, that. Wow. My friend Dan and my friend Sam and Ashraf, we uh, went off to school one day. Like, I think we, were, we must have been in sixth form, I presume. Um... And we were big Simpsons fans. So like that was good to see. And it was amazing. It was just... In, the 3D was incredible. Cardboard City's gone, Steve. But what remains is an era of aggressive homelessness. Right? It might be due to just a handful of uh, unauthorised big issue sellers. Because the way they behave, yeah, a couple of people... Like, you, I can't believe they're actually associated with a big issue. Or the big issue don't know what's going on with them. But there's a real kind of like... Are you suggesting some sort of pre-shift meeting where... They're taken through customer service skills. Yeah, they must have uh, those sort of things. They probably do do a training session, don't they? Just yeah, like I a... don't think you're the big issue. I mean, there are rules for working for the big issue, aren't there? Yeah. You can't just go up to people and just start. If someone doesn't want to give homeless. you money, you start ranting about how like I'm definitely going to hit somebody today. Is that an actual? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but like it's more than once there. There's just it's got it's a bit like Camden. You know, Camden yeah. has that kind of aggressive homelessness. Well, Camden's just um, oh, it's a, a hellhole, isn't it? Yeah. Just a terrible, terrible place. Yeah. My least favourite place in London, by a mile. Will you be recommending Fishcotec to people, Steve, the chip shop? I'm a big fan. It's all right. It's, it? it's pricey. The there is a, there's a premium yeah, on it there, is, isn't it? but it's fish, fish and chips are quite rare now, just because fish and chips aren't like Yeah, great. and it is nice. It's all right. No? I'm not a huge fan of it. Okay. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be, I'd have other things, but I'd even have pie mash over it, Steve. What? <laughs> Seriously? I would, yeah. Uh, what, over fish and chips? Generally? Yeah. Really? Well, no, about this equal. This show's over. About equal. Might about equal? I'm a Chinese or an Indian. Okay. I'd probably... Then an English. <laughs> so Waterloo, Steve, what it's known for more than anything now is... Uh, well, we're leaving out the South Bank. So if anyone's like, when are you going to get to the South Bank? We're not. Yeah, that's another show altogether, isn't it? Yeah. I thought you meant we're never going to get there on the show. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, we've deliberately stopped mm. where the South Bank starts because the South Bank will, will be a show in and of itself. It will be, yeah, the South Bank show. <laughs> yeah, the station opens in uh, 1848, um, designed by a man called William Tite, who comes back later to design uh, another element nearby. But his design... It's odd that he gets another commission close by so soon afterwards because his uh, initial design apparently quickly falls into disrepair. <laughs> becomes quite ramshackle quite quickly. Um, and they build around it. It becomes... Is that when it was known as Waterloo Bridge Station? Oh, I don't know about that. Come on, Steve. You were meant to be the researcher. <laughs> well, tell us... Sorry, Jack. Tell us about Waterloo Bridge Station. Well, I mean, it was it, the reason it's up like that is because it was originally built on marsh. Yeah, so that's right. That's it was why the built on arches. Are so high and stuff. Yeah. You put it on arches. Yeah. Easily the busiest station in Britain. Well, it depends how you define it. Well, by the amount of people that go through it. No, Clapham Junction has more people. No, I think Clapham Junction has more trains, isn't it? 
Yeah, because the more thing more is more trained. No, no, no one on them empty. <laughs> <laughs> like the thing is with Clapham Junction, right? Being the busiest station in Europe, if you if people aren't getting off the train, like it's not busy, is it? Do you know what I mean? It makes no difference. Whereas Waterloo, I think it's got to be foot traffic. I would have thought. I'm yeah. I think. Yeah, we don't know the answer. Do we? we don't know the answer. There's no way. But to I'm know. saying Waterloo's busier than Clapham Junction. We'll go with that. Let's go with that. I hate Clapham Junction Station. Hate it. I, it's all stupid, just... tiny little underground corridor. But it's a different thing. I mean, Waterloo Station's one of the major London terminals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's designed. That's the other thing as well, isn't it? Waterloo. You get the feeling with Clapham Junction, it just ended up being a very important station in terms of where it was. Whereas Waterloo was always designed. Well, I say it was was designed initially as this major thing, but pretty soon outgrows what it can handle with the initial thing. So they had suburban platforms in 1878. They had uh, another line to connect to Windsor in 1885. Um, but it's not designed in any sort of coherent fashion. There's platforms constantly opening and closing. It's really sort of badly managed. So by 1899, you end up with 16 platform roads but only leading to 10 platforms you end up with access to platforms being across other platforms mm. um, it quite quickly becomes notorious as a massively confusing place there's a, a scene in um, uh, Free Men in the Boat the Jerome K. Jerome mm. uh, book which is all about the uh, confusion that is uh, Waterloo Station so they decide um, to rebuild it it begins in 1910 and work is completed in 1922 the first world war obviously disrupting a lot of their uh, planning and efforts another problem with the delay is you know the massive stained glass window that they have no, I read the, about it, but I don't even remember ever seeing it. It's on it's on the front of the what is the old station building, you know, around the sort of on band sort of back on by York York Way. Yeah. Um yeah, the, the window itself, the design is the logo of London and South Western Railways. Um and the unfortunate thing is by the time the station opens in nineteen twenty two with a stained glass window that features the logo of London South Western Railways. It's just in time for the disbandment of London South Wales in 1921 by an Excellent. act of Parliament. So. I mean, they've got a massive uh, Britannia uh, chiselled in there, mate. That's a bit more timeless. <laughs> recently, um, by recently, I mean in the last decade, they moved the bus stops, didn't they, from outside the main uh, tube entrance, which was jazzed up when they built the Jubilee Line. I mean, I'm sure we'll have a special on the Jubilee Line now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't. Oh, we will. Um, and they moved to the bus stops. I mean, it, obviously, the trouble with London is the roads are just so narrow that a bus stops at a bus stop and everything is just chaos behind it. <laughs> and they've made it so, like, the bus pulls in now and then pulls out or whatever. But I wonder if that was to direct people or, you know, to that main station entrance that's tucked away on a back street. Yeah. It's just very strange, isn't it? Yeah, it is odd, the sort of. But, like you say, it's a ca- the building was built in a, you know, but like Burgess Park, isn't it? It's yeah, just like chaotic. sort of added on top of rats on rats on rats. <laughs> well, that's it. They they were constantly adding elements to it. You know, other platforms, other services, and then you had sort of 
auxiliary services as well. Uh, the most famous probably being the London Necropolis Railway. Yeah, what does that mean? What, like dead bodies? Yeah, it was a dedicated service to transport uh, corpses and mourners from central London to... It was basically, there was a, a, a crisis of uh, cemetery space uh, in central London. So uh, an enterprising company came up with the idea of buying this massive space in Essex, in uh, Brookwood Cemetery, it was called, um, this huge sort of space, and building a, a railway line to connect to it, uh, then attaching that to the existing railway line, and then having their own rolling stock that would allow them to transport, as I say, uh, the cadavers and mourners in one go. What's interesting about it for me was the fact that there was, uh, as in uh, other train services, there were different class of services. Really? So you could get a first class uh, wow. funeral uh, procession, uh, which would involve a permanent memorial and obviously uh, they also had the way the trains and the and indeed the platforms and the waiting rooms was up it was all screened off as well so you wouldn't have to see other class of mourner wow yeah so like the first class and the third and the third class was essentially a pauper's how long did it last um, it started operating in 1854 and lasted up to 1894 alright quite mm. a while man. yeah quite a while but then it, they just realised it wasn't actually it just never took no. off in the way that they imagined. Yeah. How many people were dying? It was interesting as well. Uh, as the, the trains a, a, approached uh, Brookwood Cemetery, the lines would actually diverge uh, f- between uh, Anglican and non Anglican. <laughs> so you had the separation of religion and class. If you want to know for. more about graves in uh, South London, that's not in South London. But yeah, with the Nonard <laughs> Cemetery episode, you know, cemetery. 24 people crammed into mass graves, babies crammed down the side to fill up little spaces. I really listened to Horrible. that yesterday. Yeah, it was the shortest episode ever, isn't it? Well, I also recommended it to someone, and I thought, oh, I'll listen to it. I also made uh, the photograph that you took uh, my profile picture. I noticed, yeah, yeah, you sort of gazing up at... Nothing. Possibly um, the most famous. Uh, you just already said the most famous, Steve, like the last one. Did I? Yeah. Possibly the most famous. Go on. The most okay. famous what? Auxiliary service. I was going to say. Yeah, was the populist realm, you said. Well, no, I'd say the Eurostar. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah, so they built this tunnel, didn't they? Going <laughs> from uh, England uh, to France. And, uh, yeah, you know, it went, the train went from Waterloo, which I found quite thrilling. That we, you could go from the, a couple of miles up the road, yeah. get on a, go through customs... Get on the train and then go to Paris. Yeah, brilliant. And I, you know, I went a few times while it was there. Yeah, I've never used the Eurostar either. Actually, I think I've been on about what four times now. And the last time, we obviously we had to go Kings Cross and Pancras, which uh, left a very bitter taste in my mouth. There was controversy at the time, obviously, because um, the French complained about being delivered into a place named after. Mm. One of their biggest defeats. In yeah, history. what's his name? Uh, Florian Longupe. Did you come across him? <laughs> I mean, what's Long... his name? Like, uh, yeah, go rule. He's talking about Longpe. He wrote to uh, the French Prime Minister, uh, saying, "We need to. This is unacceptable. Yeah, we don't want it to be called Wallace School. We've got terrible memories of it." Yeah, but I mean, a you don't case. have terrible memories of it. <laughs> you weren't at the Battle of Waterloo. 
But people made um, uh, what I thought was quite a telling point in the, one of the main stations in Paris is, and I'm going to do it again, I'm going to pronounce something in a foreign mm. accent and get it very wrong, but um, Guard de Austerlitz. Yeah, yeah. Which is named after another Napoleon battle, which they happened to win. Yeah. Beat a load of Russians and Austrians. I know. Killed some of them, apparently. Pick a lane. So this is the thing, isn't it? You know, you, you either say battles are not acceptable to name things after, no one's allowed to name anything after a battle, or you go, you know, you win some, you lose some. Literally, in this case. Yeah, they have quite good station names in uh, Paris, don't they? Like Franklin Roosevelt Station, and like <laughs> 18th of September Station. I can't remember if that is the date, but some kind of date. Like, it's just George V Station. Not just like over here, like Surrey Keys. Boring. Is Surrey Keys boring? It's just in the pl- place names. Yeah. I mean, they're mean, all place yeah. names over here, aren't they? Yeah. I'm trying to think if there is anything fun. There isn't anything fun, is there really? Monument. It's still a place in it. Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Island Gardens is fun, isn't it? It's nice. Mudshoe. Mudshoe, yeah. That's just named after a farm, isn't it? <laughs> when I was at school, Steve, uh, first year, I reckon, year seven, as it's now known, I remember one day they were giving out uh, Robinson's bottles of drink, like... Um, Fruit shoots. No, no, like it was like more of an adult type drink. Okay. Um, Boots. <laughs> Boots. Shoots. Uh, no, like a kind of, uh, you know, still fruit juice. Like kind of 300 mil bottles. All right. And um, I got 18 bottles. <laughs> yeah, my there were two in your fridge after Back and forth, back and forth. I had my free Midland bank bag at the time. And I was just <laughs> filling it up with... Uh, Came home with 18 bottles. I was like, Mum, look what I got. It was like something from, uh, I was like, Artful Dodger or something. <laughs> Don't leave us in the dark. <laughs> when you say Artful, when you say Dodger, you do realise <laughs> people who give those bottles are like, take, eight, yeah, thought, yeah. take 18. They're not mine, <laughs> are they? He's not going past going, can I get another one? Like, we were on different voices and stuff. You don't need to. They'll just give you another bottle. They're just happy to get rid of it. The sooner those bottles are gone, the sooner they can go home. Got rid of enough now. Yeah, I don't two think they kids. do those drinks anymore, man. Obviously, didn't catch on. Well, not enough people got to taste it. Do you remember that time? They, uh... <laughs> Only four people ever got to try it. Do you remember that time they start applause bars through everyone's doors? In, applause uh... bars. Yeah, but well, I got applause, which all I can remember is maybe a bit like a Snickers. Okay. This I reckon, right, was about 1991, and they just put it through everyone. They just put it like through everyone's doors. Remarkable. Where I was living in Woolworth, anyway. Yeah. And like that day, you'd see people sticking their hands through letterboxes trying to get more shots. <laughs> If anyone remembers that, right, please please do tweet at us at SLHC Podcast. Because I think Jack's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, or if you've got anything for our Q&A episode, we should just get pushed back and back because no one's asking any questions. <laughs> Email us, southlondonhardcore at gmail.com, facebook.com slash southlondonhardcore. All the links, man. We watched uh, a documentary about Waterloo, Steve, from 1961 called Terminus, about Waterloo Station, I should say, uh, by John Schlesinger. Whatever happens to that guy? Well, yeah, went on to do uh, Billy Liar a couple of years later. Well, uh, funny enough, right, today on my way here, uh, I went through uh, Leicester Square and there was a premiere for um, a film called Four something, I can't remember now, London Film Festival, but yeah, Tom Courtney's in it, oh, yeah. and uh, Maggie Smith, I think Dustin Hoffman as well, and like, I'm not going to, I mean, I love uh, the London Leicester Long Distance Runner, Steve, I'm not going to stand there waiting for Tom Courtney's come out, you know what I mean? <laughs> 
and he's in Billy Lie. That's the link. Also did uh, John Schlesinger did uh, Midnight Cowboy and Marathon Man, for example. But yeah, he made this documentary in 1961, and it's uh, there's no talking over it. It's you know it kind of looks similar kind of look to the Lambeth Boys, the Lambeth Boys, I suppose. But do you know what really struck me as being similar to Lambeth Boys, and something really sort of hit home watching it. Voices, how voices have changed. Yeah, yeah. Someone, some of the people. There's like one woman in particular on the two, uh, a guy on the phone who's trying to work out when a guy's booked a ticket for, and, we're like, and they just sound like comedy voices. They yeah. sound like just made up voices that just don't exist yeah. anymore. There's one of them is the woman on the um, switchboard, isn't it? With the glasses, yeah. Yeah, yeah. who then uh, opens her drawer, takes out a cup of tea, drinks some, and puts it back yeah. in and closes the yeah, drawer. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. <laughs> but I thought it was a really, really good documentary, man. I enjoyed it so much. And the absence of voiceover was perfect as well. It just showed, you know, it's a, the idea is a day at Waterloo Station, and like you kind of see the uh, back, um, the mechanics of the announcement systems, the departure board, you know, the information stuff, the lost property. The switches. Yeah, brilliant. Like, mm. really kind of informative and interesting. It's available on one of those BFI transport, on London transport films or British transport films DVDs. Or... On it's YouTube. on YouTube, but we'll a, put it on SouthLondonHardcore.com. Yeah, it's a remarkable for film. you to watch. But definitely do watch it. It's thirty-one minutes, and it's I the guarantee opening shot, uh, which is like a tracking shot of the station, and it goes to the roof of the station, and you see a beekeeper, and he opens yeah. up the hive, and he pulls out, uh, you know, one of the, the uh, slots from the hive with the bees buzzing across it. And then it's not a match guy, is it? But then it cuts to the hubbub of the station. Yeah. And you're like, straight away, I was like, this is going to be in. great. Yeah. yeah. This is uh, remarkable. Like, it's got this jazzy soundtrack. I thought the soundtrack uh, was great. Even yeah, the bit brilliant. when... Really good. Right? E- even the bit when uh, they covered P- uh, West Indian people arriving in London on the train. That was a bit on the nose, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Because... Uh, it, it just wouldn't... immediately cut to that song... It was different words to what I was used to, you know, I'm on my way. Well, also, wasn't it uh, a Caucasian singing it as well? I don't know, man. You know, they show, like, prisoners getting on the train, you know, coffins, like you say, army yeah. people arriving. You kind of find out afterwards that some of it was staged. Did you read yeah, that? Yeah, I read that. And that it broke my heart a little bit, and I watched it again after that. And when you watch it again, you sort of think, how did I ever think this was a documentary? Because the idea yeah, that yeah. I mean, at first, like when it was, it was so loaded with things. I thought, there's no way this is just a day at the station. No, because, it never is, though. Is no, it? yeah. I figured, okay, I've done it over a week. But even then, the shots that you look at it again, and like there's this uh, sequence at the start with um, a man rushing to get to his train, and another man walking very languidly and stopping to pick up a, a flower for his lapel. And you sort of look at it and go, of course it's staged. You know, the fact that the camera is there, you know, positioned for this guy perfect, for the gate to close <laughs> in his face, of course it's staged. Um, the... I thought the scenes, though, this particular start where people are saying goodbye to loved ones on the platform and like people are weeping and stuff. Yeah. I found it really moving, though. Yeah, no. Like it was... it was only kind of, it's a tiny vignette, but really effectively done. And it's obviously a different time, isn't it, when getting on the train at Waterloo didn't mean you were going five stops to Strawberry Hill. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You were going, you know, someone was going away and there was no such thing as Skype. Yeah, yeah. You weren't going to, you know, you can't get a decent calling plan where you could ring on your landline. The sequence with the Lost Property is probably my favourite. 
in the film because uh, they open a cupboard and they've got nudes up on the uh, inside door <laughs> partially no uh, and again uh, it, it, when you look at it again now it does seem very staged and scripted uh, but you've got this one and I hope it wasn't because it would be a wonderful sequence where this um, woman comes up to the counter and she's got all the information and she's like um, yes I got I was on the train yesterday it was a 314 from Porsche um, I left my umbrella on the train and the guy's like he's heard it all before yeah, so she's like, like she's saying this unmistakable she, is she? It's <laughs> she goes she goes uh, it was brown. It's got a cover. Um, it's, and she, uh, it's, it, the final, the, the, kick, the kicker is, uh, she goes, yes, um, the handles are curved, uh, wooden, um, you can't mistake it. And then as uh, she uh, is describing it, the, the shot then turns to uh, the storage area below, where it just pans across thousands of umbrellas <laughs> that have been left in Waterloo Station. And then, the, and then it's this wonderful thing where it pans across all the lost property and just people, the voiceover is, is people just sort of going, I left some shoes on a train in a paper bag. Um, yeah, it's a white paper bag. <laughs> and uh, just these people describing the lost property. And I was thinking, I would happily watch a film that was an hour and a half just of that. just yeah. panning shots of lost property and people going, uh, what's the hat? Blue, with a band on it. You know, you, you know you'll definitely have it there somewhere. Um, but yeah, the, the, once you realise things are staged, I mean... You talked about the convicts, for example, are all actors. Yeah. Which, you know, makes sense again in hindsight because, you know, they make a big thing of the, the platforms sort of quarantined until yeah. they're on. So, and it's that great shot of when uh, the Home Office notice is on the window reserved for the Home Office and it's like torn yeah, off. Ripped off yeah. but, and again, you sort of go, of course there's a stage. How do we... But the, the, the bit of the staging, well, two parts of uh, the stage element that really uh, bothered me afterwards was uh, the little boy who. Uh, oh, he's lost. lost. Yeah, he's not. Well, he nah. is. His his mum was a relative of John Schlesinger's, like <laughs> a niece, and basically John Schlesinger convinced her to abandon her son in very controlled conditions, obviously, but to leave her son, convinced that he was abandoned in Waterloo Station until he started crying. So when you see, and it is a remarkable series of shots, isn't it, where the kids are sort of looking around bemused, then the camera gets a bit closer. And he's sort of a, a bit confused and a bit scared. And there's a really tight close-up at exactly the point where he's like, I'm abandoned and I'm probably yeah. going to die. And he just starts weeping. <laughs> and uh, a policeman brings him over and he, you know, he's, he's reunited with his mother. And uh, But sort of, rather than it being this horrible moment, it's, it's saying, and again, it's the sort of thing where, you know, as a, as a documentary maker, it's like an anthropologist, isn't it? You can't interfere. You can't sort of go, well, we're sure. But the idea of engineering this traumatic moment for a child's, Seems uh, a bit cool. above and beyond, yeah. Um, as, uh, again, from research, as far as I can understand, the um, the homeless woman that turns up a couple of times wasn't staged. She was a genuinely homeless uh, person. But a lot of people... It, so. Well, this is the thing. A lot of people that were involved in the film that weren't actors were offered money to be in the film because their image was going to be used. And they are offered the um, equity minimum, which I don't know it was at the time. But this woman... Uh, apparently, this is what I read, uh, refused any money uh, for the film, but died shortly afterwards. So the film uh, the film crew clubbed together to pay for a funeral. Oh, I think right. it was like the least they could do wow. for the fact that, yeah, so they sort of like took... Stuff on the, the proper list line. And, uh... <laughs> Off she went. Mm-hmm. 